welcome to another episode of the Lore Entertainment Podcast. I am Andrew Southwick. This time joined by uh, quite an, a distinguished panel of luminaries, if you will. Uh, John Speed, one of the uh, founders of Lore and uh, Grand Poobahs of all things theology and entertainment. John, thanks for being on today's show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for using my preferred pronoun, too. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. I we I want to I I don't want to offend or trigger. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, John and I are both honored to have Laura Clausen on the program. She is uh, one of, I would say, arguably one of the most influential anti-abortion kingdom fighters uh, in the world. And uh, she is the proprietor of Choice42.com, as well as um, a whole mess of satire videos uh, all about um, anti-abortion and saving lives. You can also see her in uh, the procedure. We're also going to be talking about uh, some, some new projects that um, Choice42 is working on that Lure has an opportunity as well that you will see on uh, those stations as well. So, Laura, after all that introduction, hopefully I got your pronouns correct. Thank you for being on the Lure Entertainment Podcast. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. All right. Well, we have a lot to cover, so let's dig right in. I want to set up the scene because I saw this morning, um, and every time I look at this page online, it is the it is one of the most horrifying sites that, that I have ever seen. Um, when I first started looking at abortion and uh, looking at some of the statistics and trying to see, you know, what is the truth about um, baby killing? And I'm just looking in America. Um, I know you're in, you're in Canada, Laura, and uh, at the time, this was back in 2017, um, you could you can see worldometers and RCDC um, and some of the state numbers because all the reporting is a little bit different. And then there's a lag on the time for when it's actually when the numbers actually become um, hard enough to be able to count on. It's about a two year lag. So you're always looking in the past. So uh, about two years ago. And so you know that if it's continuing to increase, it's more now. Well, this morning I checked again, and you can see Worldometers has a real-time health meter, and they have a real-time abortion meter. And as of this morning, and this is the global count that Worldometers has, it was more than 20,300,000, almost 20,400,000 uh, murders of babies worldwide and counting. And it's moving a little faster than one per second. If you add up all the other deaths on Worldometers, and they count uh, other poor health deaths and, and disease deaths and so on. Abortion still outpaces all of those combined by just over a million. And then in the States, you'll find the CDC will always list heart disease as number one. Although I would contend that a lot of the heart disease we're seeing now has to do with another substance that was introduced to the population a couple of years ago. Um, but that aside, Abortion is not listed as a cause of death by our CDC. It's a whole separate category. It's actually listed under, as you probably know, reproductive health. Now, why am I setting up the scene like this? Because since 2016, at least as far when I started looking at it, um, since 2016, abortion has been, in the United States, the number one cause of human death over any other cause and around the world. And you can look at it in real time. And, and I don't hear a lot of people actually pointing that out. And I don't think many of us realize that, that most people die today when they're unborn because we murder them. Now, 
That's the backdrop. That's the scene. I want to get first your um, your take in the state of, of abortion and what got you involved in fighting for life. Oh, well, I mean, the state of abortion is disgusting. And that's really scary to think <laughs> that there are so many people that are being murdered daily and really not many people are talking about it. Um, what got me into abortion, uh, it's really something that's always just been on my heart. I guess God <laughs> kind of let me know early on in my life that uh, this was something that needed to be dealt with. And I was, I was quite young and I saw a abortion victim image and that's kind of what stuck with me my whole life. And, you know, I tried to get involved. I got involved in the pregnancy resource center world for a bit. And while I was there, I came up with the idea to start choice for two and it's really exploded since then. And yeah, now we're getting into all these different kind of things with uh, creating creating the videos and now working with Lore. So it's it's pretty incredible to see kind of what this whole thing has turned into. Did when you started Choice Four Two, what was what were you hoping? I mean, obviously you're hoping to save lives and you wanted to accomplish that. But what were some of the things you wanted to be able to do? Obviously, using creativity, using satire, using storytelling. Um, why did you see choice for two as, as, as the way that you were going to um, engage in this, in this fight, in this battle? Right. So when we started choice for two, it, it didn't really have anything to do with videos or satire or anything. It was more just the idea of waking up specifically at the time Canadians to the fact that we have no abortion law in Canada. So most Canadians don't know that. So that was kind of the idea. And then it was also to actually help women facing unplanned pregnancy um, because I wasn't uh, feeling like the, the help offered at the pregnancy resource centers was substantial enough and that the messaging wasn't clear enough. So that's kind of where Choice for Two started. And the reason why we got into the videos um, is because it was just trying to think of how we could best reach the culture with our message. And um, starting off with the, the satire videos and that, that really worked because uh, lots of people viewed those videos and shared them around just because they were um, kind of funny and kind of quirky and weird. And so even if people didn't agree with our message at all, they still shared them. <laughs> so that helped um, them to go viral. So we've kind of been going along in that in that direction ever since. And now we've moved on to uh, the animations and that kind of thing. Now, the latest animation that uh, just came out this week, at least at the time of this, uh, this production is uh, build a baby, and uh, it's been uh, it's been gaining steam every day, being uh, shared widely um, online, and that's takes on the topic of in vitro fertilization. And how does abortion compare with in vitro fertilization? Is it, um, you know, is it is it worse? Is it better? Because you know, most people we we hear IVF, and we just think, well, there's somebody, there's a couple with a with a fertility issue, or or a, or, a, or a young woman with a fertility issue, they they want to have a baby. So you know, what could be wrong with that? Isn't isn't that for the cause of life? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, for every child, 
that is created through IVF, many, many more are killed um, during that process. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I think that the numbers are showing that there are more children killed through IVF than through abortion. Um, yeah, so it's bad. It's really bad. And it's, it's um, something that uh, even pro-lifers will not speak out against. They'll say life begins at conception, considering abortion. But then as soon as you start talking about IVF, all of a sudden it doesn't seem so clear that life begins at conception. So um, this is something that needs to be addressed. So I opened the show by walking through statistics that we know about that show abortion as the leading cause of human death. You're saying that more babies are killed through the IVF procedure. How, how is that? I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be morbid in that, but I don't think people understand if we're if if you are helping someone get pregnant, how is that killing other children? Right. Well, it's just, it's kind of a numbers game. And in terms of a IVF clinic wanting to be successful, they'll create many, many, many embryos so that they have a lot of material to work with. So if it fails, which it often does, um, they, they have more, they can keep going. Um, even just the process of, um, once they've created multiple embryos, they then freeze them in cryogenic freezers right? Um, because if you had just left them, they would die if they weren't implanted right away. And so even uh, there's millions, there's millions frozen right now. And um, most do not survive the thawing process. So um, just with every step along the way, there's so much death because also they don't, uh, they won't implant an embryo if it's not genetically perfect. So if they detect anything wrong, then that human is killed. Um, if multiple embryos implant at one time, which happens very often, then they selectively reduce, meaning they abort um, one or more of the children that are there. So um, yeah, people just don't realize how much killing happens along the way. And if you believe that life begins at conception, then this is a terrible human rights injustice and if you believe that life begins at conception, which I know we do here on the on the podcast and, and with Lure, and um, you have to look at that 20,400,000 number that I said at the beginning of the show. And if you're, I don't know, four to one, five to one, however many, whatever the ratio is, we're, we're, we're into the hundreds of millions a year of babies that are killed, um, not always in the sensational surgical abortion. And that's the other thing too, the abortion statistics only count surgical abortions, not chemical and, and pills and other things. Um, so now you add on top of that IVF and this selection, like an assembly line where, oh, here's a defective one. We're not gonna put that in the package and there's, or what they say is defective. Um, and uh, and then it, it, it ends up, um, killing more than more than it um more than it uh helps or saves i don't know if that's the right word um with that let me ask the you one thing oh, keep, go ahead the one thing to keep in mind with um the statistics that we have like you mentioned they're they're not counting chemical uh that are that happen at home they'll count the chemical that happen in the clinic but now with uh a lot of the clinics closed in places like Texas and Oklahoma. People are ordering chemical abortions from overseas and doing them at home. And so 
honestly, if you if you factor in all the variables, we really have no idea here in the states in particular how many babies have been murdered. Um, it is far bigger than the number that gets uh, thrown around by the pro-life organizations. Uh, if you count all those other things. And so you add the IVF thing into this. We have so much blood on our hands that it's remarkable that God hasn't just burned us to the ground. Um, you know, it's it's shocking. If you really stop and think about it, there, and there's no urgency within the pro-life movement to really end all forms of it. They, they're content to end certain forms of it and then wait on the others. I really believe there needs to be more urgency. Well, yeah. And, you know, as you, like you're talking about, we don't know the number, but even the number we do have, um, it's still the leading cause of human death. And, and it's, the, and it's preventable. Right. It's a hundred percent preventable. We claim as a, as a humanity to want to reduce heart disease, cancers, so on and so forth. And, and obviously we do, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of people in, in the medical profession that really do, but this cause of death, which is the leading cause of death, we want to expand its access, its healthcare, its reproductive rights, everything else. Um, it's build a baby, like we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Uh, Laura, let me ask you a hypothetical. Um, pro-choicers, yeah. pro-baby killings, uh, pro-baby killers like to stump uh, abolitionists of abortion. And really, the new abolitionist movement is abortion. Um, if you were in a clinic that's on fire, you had time to rescue one or the other, would it be one baby or 10 embryos? How do you choose? You know, I, I was thinking about this lately, and I, I'm like, you know what? It's not even that it's not even a, it wouldn't even happen. Because as soon as you take the embryos out of the cryogenic freezer, which there's no way you're carrying that thing out of there, they're dead. <laughs> it's it's not even, this isn't even, <laughs> it's not even, a, not even possible. So um, yeah, I would rescue the toddler or the child or well, because that's the only one that could be rescued in that sense. Um, but that's not to say that those other lives aren't important and it wouldn't be, a horrific tragedy for them to be, you know, burned up in a fire as opposed to um, any other way that they're going to die in that IVF clinic. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, some of the uh, the political atmosphere of this. Uh, one, there there is a difference between the political and social pro-life movement that conservatives carry that in in the states, you know, Republicans, that was their their big thing for 50 years, particularly with uh, Roe v. Wade on the books, um, you know, vote for the uh, Supreme Court justices and all this other stuff. But there is a difference uh, between the political and social pro-life movement, quote unquote, and actually affirming and protecting, uh, you know, biblical God created and God purposed life. Can you explain a little bit uh, of what the difference is for people that don't know? Why is the pro-life movement not necessarily as pro-life as we think it is? Uh, they're primarily the pro-life movement in the States is uh, more interested in pragmatic political gains than they are in the actual ethical issues. This IVF thing is illustrating that very poignantly. Um, but for example, okay, so they've been passing heartbeat bills for a little while now, and those heartbeat bills usually will protect life at about six weeks. Anything before that, it, the way it's written into the legislation, you can have an abortion in these pro-life states 
And so what the pro-life movement is trying to do is they're trying to regulate abortion out of existence. So they'll take these small steps to um, increase government regulation, which is usually sort of a Democrat play. That's usually a leftist, liberal, progressive move. But the Republicans adopt it in this case so that they can supposedly get to the the uh, goal that they have. Um, but the issue is, is that uh, that's human life. Now, I've been to these heartbeat bill proceedings. I've testified against them. I testified against one here in Texas. And um, the issue that they have is that these people will start every one of their testimonies when they're lobbying for it. I believe in life at conception. And then they turn right around and, and support a bill that allows uh, babies to be murdered up until six weeks. So I'm not believing the first thing out of your mouth. <laughs> if you're going to support a piece of legislation that allows for the murder of babies, that is uh, partiality. It's being partial in our judgments. And the scriptures are very clear that, that God hates that. Mm-hmm. He hates it when we use one standard of justice for one group of people and another one for another group because they're all created in the image of God. And they've done this with other things like pain-capable bills where, okay, if the baby feels pain in the, in the womb, that's the that's the, uh, the marker. Or if, um, you know, various weeks, you know, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever, whatever the reasoning is for it. They're being, and they keep moving the goalposts all over the field. <laughs> They're sending a very strange message to yeah. the entire nation. The Bible says the law is a teacher, and it teaches people about, it functions as a tutor down in the book of Galatians to bring people to Christ. The moral law does that. But all law functions as a teacher. And what Republican pro-lifers have been teaching uh, the country is that we have no idea when life begins. And we have we have no idea uh, what we ought to be doing about this. Whereas I think it's real clear in the scriptures, we just need to end it. And so abolition, people who are more biblically oriented. They're saying, let's pass bills that end it all together and offer the same protections inside the womb that we want to have outside of it, that I expect to have for me and my family outside. If somebody murders my son or my daughter, I want justice. Why can't there be justice for these lives in the womb? That, that's, that's about it, I guess. So it turns out the streamers are letting us all down. One has committed itself to destroying grandma's terms of endearment for her grandbabies. Sorry, grams. You can't call them cuties anymore. The other has decided that you can't have dragons unless you order them in a brown paper sleeve. So the mailman doesn't have to be wantonly subjected to the TNA of the Seven Kingdoms. You could go to the Christian streaming services where you can put on your ruby slippers and repeat to yourself over and over, but at least it's clean, but at least it's clean. Apparently, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, is also horribly executed. But does it have to be that way? Can a high standard for storytelling exist with a moral backbone and a complete set of clothes for every actor and actress? That is what Lure is about. Quality entertainment for people not interested in seeing strangers naked. Of course, if you are just looking for your fix of and dragons, go to another streaming service, you perv. Be a part of the lore. Click the link below. All right, let me ask one quick follow-up. 
Oh, uh, you probably could. Let me ask one quick follow up on that. And I don't know, Laura. After after John responds, you may or may not have um, anything on this because I know it's a it's kind of an America thing. But um, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and uh, we talk about that being somewhat of a win. But John, what did that did that do much? How was that good? How was that you know? Not, not enough. Um, what was the what's the actual impact on the ground of Roe v. Wade being overturned? And then uh, Laura uh, subsequently did did that does that do those kinds of things that happen in the states? Does it reverberate internationally to Canada at all? But John, we'll start with you. Yeah. Well, the impact on the ground is that the one big impact in Texas, and I can only really speak about Texas is that the clinics are closed, which is wonderful. I used to go to those. I used to go to one here in Fort Worth like every week. Um, I'm glad to see it closed. I'm glad to see a for sale sign on it. However, now the battle has just moved to the direction that it's been going in anyway. Most abortions in this country are done in the first trimester. Most abortions are done chemically. So, um, and in fact, most Republicans don't have a problem with abortion in the first trimester. And so everybody, there's really not an urgency also because we've already accepted this. And so now they're trying, there is some move to try to get mifeprestone um, banned. And that's all in the courts right now here in the States. But the, the fact of the matter remains that they are ordering these overseas. And so there probably has been a decline for sure. Uh, we have a girl, a, a family in our church that adopted a baby who um, the mom was seeking an abortion, but she couldn't get it in the state of Texas and she couldn't travel to get it done surgically. And so now we've got this beautiful baby in our church that's been rescued uh, because of the overturn of Roe. Okay, I'm grateful for that. But that baby is one of a very, very few in the comparison of things because it's and it's just hard to track those numbers because it's being done essentially behind closed doors hmm. uh, at this point, and so it's still happening. We just don't see it. So, Laura, I know obviously Roe v. Wade is not a Canadian thing, um, and you mentioned earlier there's not really a there aren't abortion laws or law um, in Canada. What just quickly? What's the what's the political climate uh, for abortion in in Canada? Yeah, we're very pro-abortion. When that happened in the States, our prime minister came out with all these statements of how pro-abortion we are and how you Americans are welcome up here um, to get abortions. And um, just to add to John's point, interestingly, because we're online and most of the women who contact us actually are American. Um, and that's probably just a numbers thing. You have way more people than us. Um, but since Roe was overturned, We've been contacted by so many Americans looking for abortion pills. Hmm. Um, and because of our name Choice for Two, ambiguous on purpose, they, they think that we are a pro-choice organization who can help them um, find the pills. So since that happened, we've just had so many requests. They are, they are having pills shipped into them. They're of course not getting them from us, but um, they're getting them and the numbers are still huge. So, I mean, in that sense, you know, politically and, and I guess practically in terms of what people are looking for to, to kill their children, it's, it's really going the way of water, whatever the path of least resistance is. If we put a wall up over here, they go over here, which is why we need to end it so it, it does not happen. 
Well, let's um, let's move into some of the work that you're doing and some of the media work that you're doing, Laura. Um, wanna, I want to talk first. I got to start here because it reminded me when I watched some of these videos, it reminded me of my time in high school. And in the States, there was a basketball player named Dennis Rodman. And he had this white, he bleached his hair. And then at the same time, a movie came Demolition, called Demolition Man came out with Sly Stallone and Wesley Snipes. And Wesley Snipes had bleach blotted his hair. And I thought as a little freshman in high school, I'm going to bleach blonde my hair and I'm going to look cool. I ended up only making it bright, bright, bright orange. I looked like a traffic light walking down the street. Um, it was so embarrassing and humiliating for a 14 year old high schooler. And I did not go to the prom that year or any year. Anyway, um, none, <laughs> nonetheless, you have these pink hair satire videos. And when I saw those, I'm like, oh my gosh, my shame comes back. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm actually kind of curious because I want to move into Build-A-Baby, which is um, an animated short. And I'm wondering, is is it does it take more or less effort to produce the animations or something like the pink hair satire videos that you have? It takes a lot more to do the animations in terms of everything. Um, the pink hair, which... Mine was a wig, just saying. Didn't like go. <laughs> See, I, I, <laughs> commit, my I hair. commit to my roles. I, I know. I did not. I did not commit. <laughs> um, so those were actually quite easy to produce. the The hardest thing was writing the script, and that you know wasn't wasn't that hard, honestly. So those were those were great. Um, just we didn't spend a lot of money on them. I think they were quite effective. Um, but now that we've moved on to the animation, I mean, animation is expensive in it of it, in of itself. Um, and so then just the level of animators that we're working with and it just, it takes a lot of time because just every little thing, um, has to be determined. Right. And then every little thing that like one of my animators might throw in something and I might not really notice it. And then like, be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we, we can't have that in there. Like there's just so many things that can kind of sneak in that you're always having to watch. Um, yeah, it's, it's way more work. So you, uh, a couple of the, the, anim the animated uh, productions you have one, of course, the procedure that the first episode that came out just blew up went everywhere. Um, in the States that's uh, narrated by uh, Kevin, Kevin Sorbo. And we'll talk about uh, some of the voiceover stuff. Hopefully if we have a few minutes here coming up, but, um, from the procedure and then now to the new one, Build-A-Baby. Um, did you see those projects as, as kind of a succession, like telling an overall narrative? Are they, uh, you know, or, or do they occupy kind of two different spaces in the fight for life? Um, we'll start there and then I got a couple follow-ups on, on the production of them. Sure, yeah. So it's a, a series is called Exposed. There's gonna be six episodes and they are all different. Um, they're not really connected to each other, except for that they're all um, going to expose how uh, human beings are being murdered before birth in all different ways. So that's what ties it all together. And um, we just wanted really to expose some of the um, issues connected to abortion that people aren't talking about. So that that first one procedure, a second trimester abortion people aren't talking about that. And yeah. those abortions are happening and they're brutal and barbaric. So we wanted to show that. And then now the second episode, build a baby, same idea. No, nobody's talking about IVF in a bad way. Everyone just accepts it. And it's almost like IVF is untouchable 
So um, yeah, we wanted to expose IVF and those are the two we've done so far. Well, I want to ask a little bit about the production, but as you're talking about exposing IVF, I want to ask you, Laura, why do you think that um, IVF is such a hot button issue um, for, you know, evangelicals? And John, you may have something to add on this as well. Uh, because we've been using it and we've been endorsing it. And um, like I've, I've mentioned on other podcasts and stuff, but like in the church when I was growing up, um, so many people in the church were using IVF and a lot of my uh, friends were created through IVF um, and I have friends who've done IVF and it was never questioned. It was just, you know, everyone in the church praying that the IVF works um, for this couple. And if you were having fertility issues, that's just what you did. And I didn't think anything of it until a pro-choice person wrote online basically saying, if you actually believe that life begins at conception, then why aren't you out protesting in front of the IVF clinics? And from there, I realized I actually don't know what goes on with IVF. So then I looked into it and figured out how much killing and just unethical treatment um, of humans goes on with it. So I think like the Catholic church, as soon as IVF came out, they were against it. Um, and I think they got that right. Whereas the evangelicals were like, oh, look at this wonderful new science that God has given us and let's be, <laughs> let's use it. So I think that the, the church has been very supportive of IVF. And so now to have, um, to have it exposed for the evil that it is, is very awkward. Um, because there are so many, um, families within the church who were supported by their leadership. Um, to use it. So it's very awkward. I want to get a quick theological perspective in here on this too. John, why do you think that evangelicals tend to kind of go along and get along with some of these things? I mean, we, we can go back to the 90s, at least in the States, and, you know, we were, that, uh, gay marriage was all the thing. And, well, we just want, you know, we just want the same rights as a married couple, and we can see how, how that road turned out. Um, and the church was kind of silent or afraid to speak up or wasn't sure what their position was. Um, with IVF, the, the church, you know, seems to welcome it. I mean, in a broad sense, I know there are some churches that, that recognize it, I'm sure, but, but, um, overall we just, oh yeah, that seems great. And what a blessing this is. Um, how, how we, we have the, the truth of the word of God. What, where is the spiritual theological, um, cognitive dissonance or spiritual dissonance that we're not picking up with these things? It's a really good question. And I, I think there are two things going on here. The, the main underlying thing is that the evangelical church for most of my lifetime, I'm 51 years old. So in most of my lifetime, uh, the evangelical church has focused on relevance in order to draw people into the church. So Whatever's happening in the culture, we have to find a way in the thinking of most church growth experts and, you know, think, people who think about evangelism and outreach. We got to find ways to lessen the, the blow on the message of the gospel about sin and about repentance and about hell and judgment. And we need to kind of put some of those sins to the side so that people want to come to church. 
That's the main thing that's going on there. Hmm. And then along with it, I think is even more nefarious, I guess, is a way of saying that some, there are people that will come up with theological reasonings in order to back it up in the case of IVF in particular. And it's also that way with abortion, but even more so with IVF, Uh, you know, there are various theologians that respected theologians that are in the circles that I run in and sort of reformed world who have said IVF is okay. And the way they justify it is by saying that life does not start at conception. It starts when the embryo implants itself on the wall of the uterus. And so uh, they take some scriptures out of context to do that, um, ignoring other verses like Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, that's uh, where it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, before mm-hmm. Jeremiah was in the womb, God knew him. Well, where, where would that have been? Well, maybe in a fallopian tube, right? I mean, you know, God, God, uh, he's sovereign. He knows these things. And then the other thing is that we're ignoring on this front is the, the sovereignty of God and the fact, and this is very difficult. I understand the pain of, of infertility, and I don't want to soft, soften that or like kind of minimize that, but the scriptures are very clear that God is the one who opens and closes the womb. That's not just a figure of speech. That is, uh, in a way it is, but it's communicating the truth that God is in control of reproduction. And so when we try to end around what God's doing, we can't expect blessing from that. And we certainly can't expect it when it comes to, um, you know, killing off a certain number of babies in order to get the one that we want, right? I mean, there's something about that that is diabolical. And yet, Pat, I'm, I'm telling you, brother, I mean, I fear for the church in America when we're so willing to look at the evidence. And we've had this video run by people that are experts in infertility. And it's basically like they're saying, well, there's no lies detected here. This is exactly what IVF is. So, in spite of that, there are people who will still justify it. And as long as we do that, I don't see how God can bless the American church. I, I think we're, we're going to be under judgment sooner than later. Welcome to Build a Baby, where anyone who wants a baby can build one. Something broken? Missing an ingredient or two? In our state-of-the-art facility, using state-of-the-art technology, we can build your state-of-the-art baby. Starting with the swimmers. If you've got a sperm producer, you'll be quite comfortable in our semen collection room, where you'll find everything you need to perform the task at hand. (laughs) No sperm producer? No problem. Build your baby with our extensive donor sperm bank, where all our donors meet the highest human standards. Now, on to the eggs. As with the sperm, if you're missing an egg carrier, you'll have full access to our egg donation bank, all gathered from top specimens. But if you do have an egg carrier, we'll pump that sucker full of hormones, so you can get as many eggs as possible in the shortest amount of time. And then the true magic begins. Building a baby in a Petri dish. Truly a miracle. All embryos will be graded. And we'll discard any defective or genetically imperfect babies before you even know it. Building a baby shouldn't make you feel guilty. 
Congratulations! You're the proud parents of multiple embryos! Now all that's left is the womb. Are you a womb carrier? Get ready to party! No womb? No worries! Our womb rental managers will find the perfect match for your baby building. At long last, the day has come. Embryo transfer day! Cross your fingers that an embryo will stick and you'll get that one perfect baby. Or two, or three, or eight. <laughs> Not to worry, selective reduction will take care of that. Wondering what happens to your Build-A-Babies that we don't transfer? For a small fee, we'll store them in our top-of-the-line cryogenic freezers. Ready for you to try again, or discard, or donate, or give to science. A beautiful gift. But whatever happens, Build-A-Baby is happy to help you again, and again, and again, no matter the cost. Contact us and build your baby today. Laura, Laura, uh, speaking of the, the movie Build-A-Baby or the short Build-A-Baby, the animation, animated short, I should say, let me learn to speak English once again. Um, talk real quickly, what is the, you, you mentioned it takes a long time to produce um, these animated videos. Um, just kind of a bullet point start to finish because I want to ask a little bit about some of the uh, people involved in the production. Um, but what, you know, what does it take from, from, from conception to, to, uh, to, to finish and, and, and the release of the, of the short, what does it look like for somebody that doesn't know how to, how a cartoon is made? Oh man. Um, so both of these took really about six months once we, once the script had been written. So that's the first thing you got to write the script. And, um, so yeah, then once that's done, we have to decide what kind of style we want to go with. Um, you can notice that the procedure and build a baby are very different from each other. Um, so animation is cool because you can just pick the perfect style to, you know, facilitate your story. And, uh, yeah. So my animators would create a storyboard, which is kind of like a comic strip for what's, what's going to go on with each part of the script. And it's just a whole lot of back and forth and approval and, with then we have to find whoever's going to do the voice actor, voice acting. Mm -hmm. um, so Kevin Sorbo did the first one, um, which was like I'm realizing now what like an amazing experience that was because he just basically was like, "Yeah, I'll do it," and he did it, and it was done, and it was amazing. <laughs> like it was, it was so thankful for him and, and what he did for us. Um, whereas the second one. I think everyone that we approached who we thought, Hey, this you'd, you'd be cool. Cause you're someone who's sort of well-known. Um, maybe you could do this. Everyone said no for the IVF video, which didn't surprise John or me. Um, so we just went to kind of a database of actors. You can, you can just hire a voice actor. And I was surprised because we got over 60 auditions of people saying they want to be the voice for this, uh, anti IVF. Yeah. So, um, we had some really good options and the one we picked, he was just perfect. Um, yeah. So anyway, then you just start really with the animation and they just go all in. And I, it's just so much back and forth every day, really with the, with the animators and the last part then is the music. 
and which adds so much. And Aaron Fullen did both episodes for us. And he is just such an incredible artist. And not only did he do it, but he put his name on them and he's been promoting them for us, which is like really not a good idea in the like mainstream art world. Right. Um, in terms of possibly never getting hired by certain companies or whatever, but he's a Christian who is very talented and is using his talents for these really important causes. So very thankful for him. Uh, Well, you answered the next question I was about to ask you is how important was the original music and the score by Aaron Fullen. And so you, uh, you hit that nail on the head. Uh, I want to, touch back about the voiceover um voiceover work kevin sorbo did the english version and um, eduardo and i'm going to screw up the last name i'm so sorry uh what what is his last i don't even want to do it what's, what's his last name verastegui verastegui thank you i meant yeah oh okay eduardo verastegui um voiceover on the spanish version for an animation, yeah. for these kinds of things why is voiceover talent so important um what does it what does it lend to the story, like how do you know you have that perfect voice and, and what does that mean? And then I'm gonna double barrel that with, um, we, you talked a little bit about you had a, a many voice actors um, who said, yes, I wanna do Build-A-Baby. Uh, the same way, what kind of uh, tone and vocal gravitas were you looking to, to make it you know, the perfect animated short? Okay, so for procedure, um, we just wanted someone who could really bring the emotion to it had to be someone of the right age. Um, and yeah, just the emotional, what, what Kevin Sorbo did just blew me away. Um, and he told me too, that he had to do a bunch of takes, um, because he felt that they were too emotional because he was, um, like he, he was crying the first time he read the script. Like it was heartbreaking. Um, and then also it was very helpful to have his name attached to it just because, you know, he's well-known Hercules and all the other things that he's done. Um, so then to have him again, put his name on it and promote it was so encouraging because you don't see a lot of that within, um, Hollywood really, which he's, he's kicked out of now, but he's, he's known by all those people. And, uh, so that was incredible. And same thing with Eduardo. He, you know, when we put out the one with Kevin Sorbo, the original people were commenting, do a Spanish version and get Eduardo to do it. And they were tagging him in it. And so finally we managed to get in touch with him through social media. And he was like, yeah, I'll do it. And so that got arranged and it was amazing. Living Waters, um, took care of that animation for us like they they did it in their studio um so just really incredible to see um actors and just christians working together uh to get something so well produced to get it done and i i'm just really thankful and then um the second episode completely different story um we needed someone who could have that really cheesy sort of commercial vibe, uh, basically, which is what we asked for in when we were doing the auditions. And we had a lot of options. Um, but the the one that we picked, <laughs> everyone, everyone that listened to the whole list, everyone pulled him out and was like, this is the guy. And uh, yeah, so that 
that worked out perfectly. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left. Um, and in this time, Laura, can you, is there anything you can tell us about upcoming episodes of Exposed? Is there any teasers you can give us? Because obviously these first two in the series are, we're, I mean, they're both in, incredible. They're both poignant in, and in different ways, but managing to, to hit, to hit hard in, in, uh, in similar ways. Um, what, what is next for Exposed? Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm kind of like keeping it under wraps at the moment, but they are, I want to like number three is going to be another very uncomfortable one because, um, the, what we're, what we're going to be hitting in that one is something that pretty much affects every single human. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's going to be very awkward. Um, but very necessary. It's, it's something that people don't think about and don't know about. Um, and in terms of the whole series, that's just how we're going along. I've changed some of the episodes along the way. Um, and honestly, things have gotten so much more intense even than I had planned at first with, with the six episodes and what they were going to be, um, to now with the topics we're actually doing. It's, um, it's intensified a lot. And so I think that um, people can just expect the series to keep intensifying and getting more and more awkward. And that's fine. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Uh, why do you think, because we, we got to bring it back to, to Lure TV a little bit here, Lure.TV. Um, what makes Lure the best platform um, uh, to work with for, for these animated shorts? I mean, why wouldn't you do something like, you know, Pure Flix or, or one of these others? Or, or would those uh, services even touch something like this? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's not like you wouldn't, you couldn't. Hmm. Um, there's, there's no way that they would put any of the content that we've created so far on their platform. They wouldn't touch it. They don't want to touch it. They're scared of it. Lure, um, Marcus told me originally and just said it again the other day. He's like, yeah, he's like, we fully, you know, we fully support you. Make whatever you want. We don't care. So it's like a full, full license to do anything, to push the envelope as much as I want to. And as an artist, like you couldn't be given a better gift. There's no one looking over my shoulder saying, Oh, you know, you, you've got to watch out. That's too much. You can't do that. Whatever. None of that. It's just, you're an artist. We, you know, we believe in your project and go for it. So it's incredible. Why do you think it's important to develop this kind of quality media, particularly when it comes to the fight for abolishing all forms of, of baby murder? Because the culture is so influenced by it. Um, with, with everything that's been going on lately, it's, there's been so much quality content created for all these different movements that have now exploded. Um, even just with, like within the movie setting, TV shows, like you can look back on all the things they were kind of prepping us for, um, throughout, you know, our lifetime. And, and this is, it's important because we have to get in there and have a voice and, Christians haven't really done that, uh, very well, <laughs> not, not at the level of like high production of what the opposite side has and what they can do. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to get there. And I think now that I think now that's changing. And so that's, that's really cool for us to basically be able to get into this culture war in the same way that the evil side has been doing. 
All right, kicker question for the show. This is it, um, and I'm going to start with John. Then Laura will go uh, to you. We've got we're in our last three minutes here, so they'll they'll have to be kind of elevator uh, <laughs> versions. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, maybe one of the most important questions uh, we can ask: What do you say to the pro-lifers who, who who claim we we shouldn't call abortion murder, or who claim that we shouldn't call this a sin, or or, or we shouldn't be bringing the the gospel into this? Um, John, what, what is your response to that? My response to that always boils down to the fact that the scriptures say of themselves that they're powerful and God says of the scriptures, they're powerful. And so if I have a, like I go to a fight and my enemy is carrying a pocket knife, but I've got an AR 15 or something. Okay. Say AR 15. Um, know that many use the ar-15 i don't really i don't have to come down to the level of the pocket knife and so because you've got you've got the advantage and when we set our ar-15 aside to pick up a you know a pocket knife or a butter knife or something um (laughs) what do we expect is going to happen we're not going to win those battles um i've seen god do too many amazing things just through the power of the word of god to set that aside Laura, what what do you say to, to those kinds of objections? I'm sure you hear that quite a lot in what you do. Yeah. I mean, that, that would just be stupid to try and fight something so evil and leave God out of it. Hmm. You wouldn't stand a chance. It would be it would be bad for you to try and do that. So um you definitely can't leave God out of it. All right, uh, Laura Clausen, um, the, the new animated short is Build a Baby, part of the series Exposed. Uh, you'll be able to see those at lure.tv, um, also choice42.com. I said 42 at the beginning of the show, I'm sorry, because I'm reading fast, choice42.com. Laura, is there anywhere else people can uh, find you, follow you, uh, connect with you, um, website, social media, uh, where would you like oh, people yeah. to connect? Yeah, so all the choice for two platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Rumble, Twitter, all the things. And then um, I also have all those same platforms, just my name, Laura Clausen, so they can they can connect with us either way. Okay. Um, and then John, of course, uh, lure.tv. That's the big one. Uh, subscribe today at lure.tv. Again, that's we're, we're telling the stories, funding the stories that Hollywood. Uh, Laura, thank you. You've been so generous with your time and information. Thank you for uh, being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. For John Speed, Laura Kloss, and I am Andrew Southridge. This has been the Lore Entertainment Podcast. We'll see you next time.